also it's recommended to check in with a ranger too. So that way they know who you are um, and what your plans are for the day. Um, it, that's for your safety. That isn't restricting your quote unquote freedom. Check in with the rangers or make sure that your whereabouts are just at least known or what your intentions are for the day. Because guess what? If you don't show up, they at least know whereabouts your whereabouts are and they can maybe have some search and rescue. Welcome to Oak and Adam, unfiltered conversations about nature, philosophy, spirituality, and life between a druid and an atheist. I'm Brian, a druid. And I'm Eric, an atheist. Welcome to Oak and Adam. Hey, Eric. How's it going, man? I'm doing well. What's new with you, Brian? Well, um, I almost uh, died at White Rock. No, not <laughs> you really. almost died at White Rock. No, not not really. The uh, I definitely had a uh, failure to plan mm. um, or failure to prepare plan for whatever. How, what's the, what's the phrase go? Oh, I can't remember off yeah. the top of my head right now. Well, but let's I, just I, say I uh, piss poor planning prevented proper performance for sure. Been um, there, done that, and received many t-shirts. Yes. Side note, White Rock is not flat. <laughs> <laughs> so you were up at White Rock Conservancy. I've only been up there once before, and the plan is to do more uh, ventures up there. But So you were doing mountain biking up there? Yep. Yeah, I was doing their single track flow trails up there. Um, and like I'd been up there before, um, volunteered with, uh, Legacy Trails, LLC, uh, Pete England's uh, deal. And, um, and so I had a opportunity to camp at, uh, um, Starfield for free while we volunteered and helped build some stuff. And, um, at that point in time, I'd never even touched a mountain bike before. Um, and so the, I didn't do any mountain biking while I was up there. Um, it was literally, you know, work, eat, drink, sleep. Right. Typical conservation yeah, work that was up there. Yep. But now you're up there for fun. You're up there for play. Oh, I was. Um, and so I had, um, the day before just gotten back from, um, Minnesota. Okay. Um, I was up there camping, um, uh, my oldest Graduated high school. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Um, I got called old at work today. <laughs> and Is that official when you mark as old whenever your oldest graduates from, you know, from I, high school? I, I think it's a case of if you have a kid who's graduated, you can't really call yourself young anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's, that's more than fair. <laughs> when, when one of your children is a full-fledged legal adult. <laughs> they, could be, they could be in the military if they wanted to be. Yes. Yes. Yep. yep. And so it's just like, huh. Um, but, and so while I was up there, I did a little bit of mountain biking. Didn't have as much time as I wanted to as well. Um, the, uh, cause that was primarily up there for the graduation and, um, got my kids, um, mountain bikes. So are um, they excited? I hope they oh, are. Oh yeah. Um, it took them to a parking lot to try everything out, make sure everything, uh, was the right size and. Um, yeah, they're, they're excited. We'll have some fun. We'll definitely take those little nuggets out to, uh, Sycamore and, um, get them, get, get them their first taste of dirt. That's, that's a big day right there. Um, I mean, when you graduate, I just remember as a child, like, you know, so you have the, 
the bike where like you go backwards and that's the brake, right? Yep. That that was my first bike. In fact, I I want to say it was a I want to say it was a Huffy. Yeah, the, uh, that part in the parking lot when they were trying them out. Mm-hmm. That's what they were. They were going from a bike where to you pedal backwards to stop, right? To a geared mountain bike with disc brakes, right? <laughs> and that's a that's a transition. It is. That's um, a big transition. But they handled it really well. I was that's impressed. Um, I had him first just like take the bike and walk alongside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I'm like, I want to make sure you know how to stop this thing before you get on it. <laughs> right. And to understand, and I also didn't want them to like, like, oh, how do I stop? And then squeeze really hard knowing these are disc brakes. Um, Di- see, disc brakes, I'd, I'd never have had a disc brake experience. So like, they're much more effective than the rubber stoppers. Like, Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got a lot more, a lot more stopping power. Right. Um, and the, and there's, there's kind of two aspects to it. You get a lot more stopping power. Additionally, um, like wet or muddy um, environments have less of an impact on the disc brakes compared to the rim brakes. Right. And I'm sure some of the listeners who said rubber stoppers are like, that's not what it's called, Eric. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that made some cringe. Oh, yeah. You know, hey. You know, I'll stick to photography. You folks do the biking. Oh, no, 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 no. We'll, we'll get you up to speed. Und- like, understanding nomenclature is, you know, there's a whole vocabulary that, like, honestly, most of the time I'm like, hey, what's this doohickey? <laughs> <laughs> what's this doohickey? Yeah. The, I remember how excited I was. I was like, oh, so that's called a derailleur. Oh. oh. It's no longer the gear shifty thingy. <laughs> So now you were up at White Rock mm-hmm. and you were unprepared. You felt like oh. you, were, you were unprepared. So like there's an old like sports saying that you outpunt your coverage or that was it just like, you know, you, you just went up there and you just forgot a whole bunch of things of what you needed to do or what, what was the unprepared part? Well, I mean, I I, I know what punting is, but I have no idea what outpunting coverage means at all. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, I can kind of deduce, but I'm pretty sure I'm definitely missing some of the nuances of that. Yeah. Um, but um, no, what got me actually was um, dehydration. Yes. And so what um, I failed to take into account. So one, the day before I drove back from uh, Minneapolis. So that's a four hour drive. And, um, I don't know about you, but I always fail to drink enough water while driving. Um, I, I do too. I, I try to, I've been getting a little better about having water in the vehicle, at least before I go to a stop Yeah, uh, where I would venture out for whether that's a mile to two mile hike, uh, for, for, for photography purposes, right? That's usually my intent. Uh, whenever I'm going out on a day-to-day basis uh, mm-hmm. for for whatever outdoor recreation yeah. I'm doing, but I, but I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, but like like longer multi-hour trips, I usually don't drink enough water while driving. I, I think um, we're kind of all in the camp of we could always drink more water. Yeah, and I I have yet to find the the perfect specimen that drinks that that says to themselves, I mm-hmm. drank the appropriate amount of water today. You know, that's so oh, few yeah. and far But I mean, like, I could go, like, if I'm driving all day, there's there's times where, like, 
I will just feel awful because I'll have drank maybe 24 ounces of water the entire day. Does coffee count? Um, because <laughs> I drink enough coffee to. Yeah, I was to say if coffee counts, then I might be closer to 32. Mm. Um, the uh, but really, the um, either you know either way, I I knew that I hadn't, and then um, I wasn't like. I was still on the fence as to whether or not I was going to go. I was like, I was trying to decide, do I want to go to White Rock or do I want to, you know, spend some time and actually getting, you know, caught up on housework. Um, obviously right. we saw where that landed. <laughs> um, <laughs> as we look around. The hey, hey, here. hey, hey, no judgment. Uh, no, no judgment. I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> it's judge free zone. Never mind. I can't cast many stones. There's, there's times where it's just like, especially I just got back from you know, a six day trip Yeah. and you know, it's cha- it's chaotic order. Like before I left, and it's still chaotic order after I came back. So it's like mm-hmm. I just need to get my, I just need to get in gear and actually just do some some cleaning. So yeah, I, I am not I am not one to judge at all. Well, and then on top of it, um, I spent that evening. Uh, I ordered a pizza and drank a bunch of beer and watched Marvel movies. I remember you sent me a text about this. Yes, this is again like the uh, I hadn't decided, and uh, that's not the best way to prepare for a mountain bike ride. Very true. I mean, Sycamore probably would have been fine-ish, um, as long as I wasn't doing anything too crazy, like you know, sending it. Uh, well, I mean, sending can be in a shorter spurts. It's more of like the longer distance long duration type stuff. True. Um, Cause you can do a lap of Sycamore around seven ish miles. I was um, going to say like, I've done the hike and I've actually walked it and that's, you know, for me it's like an hour, maybe two kind of deal. But anyway. Yeah. And, um, and so the, I knew it was bad because the, like the pizza super salty and mm-hmm. drinking beer. All I the even, good things in life, brother. Oh yeah. I even woke up in the middle of the night like super thirsty and um uh, went Wait, to did get you up. demolish a whole pizza to yourself? Uh, half. Okay. All right. <laughs> the um I mean, we all have our coping mechanisms. Hey, I um, Hey man, I'm on page seven of the hymnal with you on that. I know. Like I tend to I'm just <laughs> like the way I'm like, how well do I, you know how well do I have my shit together? I just look around. I'm like, how many pizza boxes are laying around? Mm. Um, is, is that your gauge? <laughs> it, it can be. It used to be how often I eat orange chicken, but um, orange yeah. chicken doesn't come to the door cheaply. Right. Um, <laughs> so the, uh, yeah, so uh, middle of the night, I re- so I, I woke up and I knew I was like, oh, this is bad. So, um, so I, you know, knowing that I was, dehydrated and all that stuff i'm just like well all right we'll we'll take it easy and you know just do a little lap around and check out um you know white rock and explore it a little bit um filled my water bottle up with some gatorade um because you got you have a, a well over an hour drive ahead of you to get to this spot too yeah so that that's a, that's its own preparation that you have to take into account is like it's not like you can just go to your backyard where sycamore is like sycamore is a 20 minute drive. Right. Um, no. So this was about an hour away, which it was just a case of, you know, just throw my, through my, uh, bike, bike on the back of my van and grab my water bottle and shoes and hop in my van and go. Mm-hmm. Um, it did help that I still like hadn't fully unpacked from camping. So I still sure. had like 
Like if I if I needed to eat, I had like Mountain the dehydrated meals. In my sure, room, you know, and it, it was a kid. Yeah, <laughs> you're looking around. There, so. <laughs> I see the I see the tub that you have of dehydrated meals. Which, by the way, I you know I it is not beneath me to have an, an adventure meal myself. Oh, those like, things I are delicious. Are you kidding great. me? I love the breakfast ones. Yes, the Southwest Skillet. Oh, that is my. favorite. Favorite, absolute favorite. The Southwest Gillet? Yes. Oh, yes. So hard to, like, that That one, I was pissed off. The REI, the flagship REI in Minneapolis was sold out. What? Yeah. Nah, that's upsetting. Yeah. Des Moines always has it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, good on you, but... The uh, yeah, that was the case. I was looking around and doing math and doing all... That's why I just ended up grabbing the tub. Um the uh plus there was a sale (laughs) (laughs) but so you know i'm up there and i start going down this and very quickly and this is it's a really cool flow trail and there's some there's nothing quite like going down a single track trail that you've never been on before because you don't know what's coming up um you don't know what's ahead that's going to be a lot of fun or almost kill you and, um, you know, going through it and I'm just like, I'm going down and down and down and down and going down some more and then up a little bit. And then, then it's just like, whew, all right, you know, stop, take a little drink. Kept not like my heart rate would get up to the one eighties and then I'd be like, all right, let's, uh, take a breather. Um, I used to let it go up to the two hundreds, but I'm just like, I should, mm. I should not do that anymore. Um, and, um, and so and the thing about like when I'm on a trail for the first time, I'm not trying to like go as fast as I can because I mean, I, I kind of want to set the bar low because then I can set personal records later. Right. <laughs> there you go. That's the, <laughs> yeah, this is just me. I'm just like, where am I going? Well, um, that and just for safety reasons too. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. You know, just stop and kind of walk around and looking around a little bit. And, and so, and it was actually, it was pretty cool. Um, Really flowy, really neat, really pretty. Um, they have a really healthy woodland out there. Lots of wildflowers. I mean, the wildflowers out there almost became a problem because I kept looking at the flowers and almost crashing because <laughs> uh, I'm not looking at the trail. And so it was mildly distracting. But it was really gorgeous out there. And, um, you know, got lost a couple times um, on different trailheads trying to find some of the segments. And... Uh, and then, but the problem is, is I had one water bottle with me, one 24-ounce water bottle with me. That's not much. No, no, it's not. And it's it's just fine for Sycamore because it's only seven miles a lap. Right. And then you're back at the vehicle and you can always, you know, refill or grab another one. And, um, and so... You know, I'm slightly rationing this thing. My gym already dehydrated, and uh, <laughs> and so then I get out and I do. Um, I go to head back because I'm like I did a couple. I did their uh, bobcat trail or bobcat tail trail, and then their uh, pond hopper, which that one was brutal because it hadn't been mowed yet. Um, and then on the way back, all that going down well what goes down must come up right because <laughs> i'm parked at the top of starfield which kind of makes me wonder i'm like maybe we should park at the bottom next time uh, <laughs> <laughs> but 
Uh, so I'm going on this thing and it like, it eventually got to a point where I'm like, no, the, uh, like I just ran out of energy and end up just, um, walking my bike for a quite a bit of it. And, um, and so I'd get like, I remember just getting pissed because I'm just like, normally it's like you go up a little bit, you go down a little bit, you go up a little bit, you go down a little bit. And this was literally just up and up and up and up and here i am swearing at the topography i'm like seriously dude like what is this shit <laughs> <laughs> and oh i was so pissed um and then i'm about i think um just shy of two miles out when i run out of water uh, oof yeah <laughs> and so oof. i'm just like <sighs> okay Well, <laughs> it's only two miles, <laughs> but it was, it was brutal. And there was, there was a couple points where like I could feel myself getting a little bit of lightheaded. And so mm-hmm. it was definitely a case of, you know, let's not let my ego get in the way and just take a moment and take a breather. And, um, cause the last thing I want to do is to have to call Shay cause she works out at White Rock now. Right. And, uh, and, you know, ask for her to send help. <laughs> Yeah, that that that'd be a a shot to the ego, but let oh, alone yeah. let alone just like you know, just the yeah, the the pride that is uh you know that you're without water basically. Oh, oh yeah. It's like but the, uh, how how hot was it on that day that you were out? Um, see, that's the thing is it wasn't terrible. And again, what got me is I didn't realize. So the um the elevation change and around Denman and Sycamore is between one to 200 feet mm-hmm. where, um, after I looked at my Strava recording, uh, at White Rock, it was over a thousand. Um, and that's so, cumulative, uh, yeah. for, for those listening, because I, Brian and I were talking about this. So that's cumulative, yep. not total elevation gain. Like you get up to a certain point, like from beginning to a certain height point right. of a so thousand like, feet. So if I go up 10 feet, go down 10 feet, go right. up 10 feet, go down 10 feet, that's We're, a... A climb of 20 feet right where that's um, a little different like in the hiking world where it's like you actually gain to a certain point from beginning to like a certain point of like you know that that elevation gain yeah. quote unquote so yeah they i'm sure there's cumulative mm-hmm. uh calculations but at least in my mindset it's like because whenever i did half dome and, and these other hikes i just did recently it's you are gaining x amount of feet yeah a lot of uh from the starting point a lot of like on like bike ride stuff even actually on google maps now when you put in in select bike you'll see feet up and feet down okay and that's that same type of thing it's like the total amount of climb you're going to have to do versus the total amount of descending you're going to have to do sure um and so like a lot of times in iowa it'll be like up 200 down 200 right because it's you know it's relatively flat over the you know large area right Um, it doesn't feel like it while you're riding but (laughs) No, it doesn't. No. And so, yeah, so that's that's what got me is I was, what I hadn't done was I hadn't looked at uh, a topographical map of the area. Um, I just, I knew like the outline of it, but I hadn't realized how much um, uh, topography and like elevation gain and loss there was in that little area. It's, it's amazing, a, isn't it? Like, oh yeah, because Lots of little, little like little creek valleys and watershed thingies, and I don't know what they're 
there's terminology for it. I don't know. But <laughs> all I know is, is it was brutal. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing it again, but this time... A little bit more prepared. Yes. Yes. So one thing I've learned about like hydration is the your baseline hydration is actually set in, like, in the days before. That's the, a... Excellent point. Yeah, because if I had gotten up in that morning and pounded a, a gallon of water, the only thing that would have done is caused me to pee like crazy. Right. That's it. It wouldn't have actually effectively hydrated me. It's a long. It's a long game. I mean, as far as with hydration, and in fact, I even realized that myself just coming back from the desert. Like, it's days in advance. Oh yeah. Like a day or two in advance, you're setting the you're setting the tone for your hydration for the next day. Um, or two in that in that case, but yeah, it's it's amazing. Once uh, it's a painful lesson to learn of dehydration out in the woods, and that's mm-hmm. something it's something that we kind of take for granted in more humid conditions. Like oh, for oh, for absolutely. like for like Iowa, for most of the listeners are based out of Iowa, but even like Minnesota, you could it, it, it dehydration sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's it's easy to get dehydrated in humid environments. Like everyone talks about like the desert. Well, the desert's like very real, real quickly to you, but it's like humid environments. Like when I was up, even up in the Boundary Waters, easy to get dehydrated. You're surrounded by water uh, for the large extent when you're up in the Boundary Waters. But ironically, it's also very easy to get dehydrated up there. Yeah. Because you have to be, one, getting adequate, good quality water while you're up there. Like you can't just like dip your water bottle along the shore, you either have to go out into the middle of the water to dip down to below to do it, or you have to pump water, treat water, et cetera, mm-hmm. to drink, and that takes a little bit of work. Well, that that little bit of work is sometimes a little bit of a disincentive for people to drink water, when in actuality you should be absolutely drinking water. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, those, it's those little things that can add up for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in, I remember in, in boot camp, um, they would, when we'd be on um, training ops and stuff, they would um, grab a random recruit, usually one of the squad leaders, and they'd make them piss in a cup. And depending on the color of his urine, determined whether or not we, um, well, they referred to it as being waterboarded. Um, <laughs> <laughs> So that's so twisted. <laughs> it, it it was, but like the we would have periods of like forced hydration where we'd all have to go outside, fill up our canteens, and just chug an entire quart of water, and then fill up our canteen again and chug that quart as well. And we kept going until um somebody finally threw up, and then then we could stop. Oh God. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was it was bad. Um the uh and so like they were like making sure but you know, we were also training in Southern California. Right. Uh and so the uh um so hydration was like completely drilled into me, which is what was even more of an ego blow when I'm on this ride and I'm just like, You dumbass. Right. <laughs> the uh but um yeah, totally worth it. Like, I'm gonna go back and wear my. Um, I still call it a Camelback, but it's an Osprey brand one. Right. Um, 
Hydration bladder. There we go. What's that? Hydrate. And how many liters is your uh, Osprey one that you have? Um, the one that I have is designed for like running, so it's tighter than fit. So that one's a two liter. Two liter. Um, because that's what I, I think ha- it might only be a one and a half. I think. That's what I have right now. And after this trip, I, I so I just got back from Big Bend National Park, which is in southern Texas, right along the border. Yeah, your Instagram stories have been pretty fucking dope, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, and it's just it, it absolutely beautiful area. Uh, you know, so you're in the arid desert. For the most part, but it has cedars and, and, and other vegetation, cacti, etc. A lot of pear cactuses uh, down that way. But it's very real of hydration, especially between, you know, certainly now till I'm sure late September down in that area. And, and, and it really made me realize, you know, not to get into the whole uh, politics of that area, but like of, of immigrants you know, legal, illegal coming across that border, it's very dangerous. Oh, it's yeah. It's a very, especially along the Rio Grande, very dangerous, not just from the river itself, but just based upon the sheer heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a point where we did a hike along the Rio Grande, and this was the hottest I've ever hiked in, was at 111 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. Extremely hot for mm-hmm. hiking. At that point, like, you know the phrase, like, Dry heat versus humid heat. That is such BS. <laughs> yeah, that right. Is, I, I, I will say this. You know, I. So continue. I, I didn't yeah. want to interrupt. No, I was gonna say it was like when we when we landed in um, Kuwait and Iraq um, in September of '04. It was like I think it was around 120, and that's very hot. Yeah. Um, especially with body armor too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. even, the, even worse. Yeah. We were just like, Oh shit. <laughs> the, it was literally like the first two days where you're not going on patrols, you're not doing anything. You're acclimating. You're just acclimating. Yep. Um, and I mean, that was, that was a case of like, I remember we'd go on patrols and I would, I had a, I, I think a three liter camelback of water and then two, like the big, I think two liter bottles of water, um, one in each cargo pocket. And, um, eventually as, you know, as things cooled down and as we got lazy and acclimated, sometimes those things got replaced with cans of Coke, but sure. (laughs) But that, that whole saying, like, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, Iowans would say, Oh, it's, Oh, that's dry heat. You know, it's not, it doesn't have the, BS. Yeah. You know, first and foremost, hot is hot. When you get up to a certain temperature, it it don't matter what the humidity is. It doesn't matter. Uh, And I can attest, and actually, having humid air is much better for your nasal passages. Because it was dry down there. And I was like constantly like cleaning out. And I still kind of am. Just the based one based upon the amount of dust. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who knows if I was having any sort of like hay fever uh, too, because the agave plants down there are actually pollinating right now. Oh, interesting. Um, it, so I don't know if for, for anyone that's, so we all are familiar with like the agave plant kind of looks like an oliveira plant. They're, they're, I believe they're cousins of some capacity, mm-hmm. but agave plants will actually sprout. And it almost looks like asparagus. It sprouts this huge, oh. tall shoot up into the air. Is it similar in look to like a yucca? I'm not familiar with a yucca. Okay. But what we called it is that it looked like giant asparagus. And then you know how <laughs> asparagus will actually will legitimately flower? 
Oh, yeah. As well. Yeah, you're supposed it, to harvest it before it does that. Exactly. And it looks like that at that point, like that kind of similar flowering, hmm. uh, like if you let the asparagus flower. So it was like, it was very interesting. So who knows if that had any effect. Um, yeah, I would be surprised if it was more just the dry dust. It, it must have been. And that, you know, you're used to, and that's why you have humidifiers during the winter here mm-hmm. because of the dry air. Well, it's constant there, right? So. Uh, especially coming from a more humid environment to a arid and dry environment, it it did affect the nasal passages. Uh, but the circle back is that hydration is very apparently key and very important. Um, Have you ever had a close call? I, actually, on this trip, I had a closer call. Oh. Uh, so we did, so in Big Bend National Park, is part of the Chisos Mountains. Absolutely beautiful area. Uh, and had a little bit of a humbling moment when we were doing Emory Peak, which is uh, the tallest peak in Big Bend National Park, I do believe. And uh, it was suggested to have four liters of water. I had two liters of water and a gate and a, like a liter of Gatorade. Uh, so I technically had three liters of hydration with me. Yeah. Um, almost towards the top. So we're... We're getting close to the peak point of Emory. And all of a sudden, I'm, you know, sucking down on my camel, camelback, the, the hydration pack, and I feel it, it's completely out. I'm like, oh, fudge. Except I didn't say fudge. <laughs> and I'm, but thankfully, we were close. But, you know, I was having this like, oh, I am out. Um, and even a little bit before that, they talked about, like, the effects of dehydration. So we're, we're doing this hike at 95 degrees Fahrenheit. It's hot. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt a little bit, uh, and I was carrying just a little bit of weight with the camera gear and the water, et cetera, and as well some a little bit of food. I had like a cliff bar and stuff like that in there. And my legs were starting to cramp a little bit. So that was and a little bit of lightheadedness because I was trying to conserve water because I had two liters and then the Gatorade. But then I was like, okay, I really have to start drinking water. So that was that was a close call. But thankfully, I had the Gatorade. But I was still on reserves on the downhill with the Gatorade. But it, that was probably the closest call I had. And that that was a humbling moment of like, it's better to go long than short on water. Be, you know, weight doesn't matter. It's descending weight with mm-hmm. when it comes to that. So I would advocate for anyone who is hiking, whether it's you know here locally, but it's hot out to always carry extra water, uh, go with park recommendations because, you know, it's ironic because I did two liters with half dome, the half dome hike in Yosemite and they suggested four liters and I was just fine. But then I was in the Chizos mountains with, uh, with similar elevation gain, but just that extreme heat just really changed uh, a lot of that, uh, as far as my body's ability to hydrate. So that was a close call for me. Very close call. And then when we're on the Rio as well, you know, I've certainly made sure I had extra water, but you are constant, constantly drinking, especially at that temperature when you're hiking. Um, so that, that, that was my close calls that I had. So um, always stay hyd- hydrated uh, if you can. And if you know that you're going to go on outdoor adventures that require some sort of exertion, whatever, whether you know, what Brian was talking about as far as mountain biking, whether it's hiking, backpacking, 
don't sell yourself short on 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 water because it's yes it's a little bit of extra weight but it's keep in mind it's descending weight but it's also much more vital so that that was that was my close call uh, especially when the <laughs> when the, when the legs are cramping oh it's real <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh no <laughs> am I about to be one of the stories <laughs> yeah am, it's like ah. Uh, it, it, it definitely killed the ego a little bit, but that was mm-hmm. a good thing. It killed the pride, but yeah, that was that was the closer. That was probably the closest call that I had. Um, so did you tell the people that you were with that you were out? Yeah, I did, and that and that's another important thing too. If you're with people, don't don't let your pride get in the way. I was I was thankful that I communicated that to them, so that way they said, "Oh, okay, well, just in case, you know, we have a little bit extra on our end if you're completely like out out and you're." You know, because there's no sense of, you know, beating your chest when it comes to dehydration, especially in those temperatures. So. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, uh, cause like, cause again, the other thing is it also comes into like hydration the days beforehand. Um, so you'd been hiking for multiple days, right? Well, we did, we did do some hiking. Uh, we did a nice, absolutely beautiful sunset hike. Oh my God. Uh, it was, that was probably one of the better hikes I've been on, uh, to be, and, and it was surprising actually. So we did, it was like, it was called the lost mine hike. That's mm-hmm. a little bit shorter hike, but, uh, it was closer to the sunset. And the thing about the desert is that wildlife and, uh, doesn't come basically come to life until after the sun has set. Yeah. Um, so we were, we were, when we were hiking back in the dark by headlamp, that's when we were starting to see some wildlife take, uh, take root and, uh, start moving around. Oh, that's cool. So like we didn't see many, we didn't see any snakes. We saw a few tarantulas. That was a first, you know, seeing tarantulas in the wild. Oh, nice. Um, that, that's always a, uh, like, Oh, holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> They're real. Yeah, right? <laughs> They're not just a pet. <laughs> uh-huh. I remember the first time I saw them in California. Yes. But it, it's, so it's just wild. Uh, and the thing is too, like there's all, there's all kinds of spiders all over out there and they have glow. They, their eyes obviously are bioluminescent as far as to take in the light. Right. Uh, because that's they live in, oh, yeah. they live by dark. Yeah, you, so you can see them like glowing. All yeah, the I see all these like little eyes glowing. It's like there's a spider. There's a spider. There's yeah, a spider. There's a spider. That's what what was crazy was it wasn't just like the first time I saw a tarantula. It was we were on a hike in Camp Pendleton, and you'd see one scurry across the fire break because we would hike the fire breaks, and you'd see it one scurry across, and then another one, and then another one. You're just like. Oh shit! These things are everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, it, so that was that was, yeah, that that was an interesting part. It, it definitely made some, made one person in the crew it wasn't me uh, a little uneasy. It's like, well, let's get out of here. <laughs> but so in uh, Big Bend National Park, uh, the other piece too is that they do have bears there. Um, so they. They didn't have any bears up until the 1980s. Uh, black bears were basically reintroduced back to the area, and we were when we were there, we had very active bear activity. In oh, fact, wow. when we were doing that lost mine hike again, as the day was cooling around sunset, 
um, the, the bears were becoming active. Um, and I was actually in front of the in front of the group on the hike, and I was within 10 yards of this black bear. Oh, wow. It crossed the trail. It looked at us, and then it just continued on. It didn't want any business with us. And they're mm-hmm. actually, those black bears down there are actually a little smaller. because I, I believe that's just due to food and... Uh, availability and as well as water availability they're just they're just smaller than than the black bears you would see like in the rockies Uh, so but we also had a bear go through our camp as well (laughs) so that's another part of like you know we're kind of talking about safety it's wildlife safety Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're in bear bear country lock it up and if you're cooking that's great but keep in mind if it smells good to you it smells good to someone else i.e a bear Oh, absolutely. Uh, uh, and there were some people, I think, what initially brought them through the camp areas that I believe we smelled bacon that night. And that is a very aromatic food <laughs> for anyone. <laughs> like, I love bacon. I'm sure a black bear would have oh, loved it. Fried that. up some bacon wrapped salmon. <laughs> 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 so that, that's the other piece, too. It's like you have to be cognizant of who else is. And what else is out there? Yeah. Um, you know, it's one thing for like, you know, dehydration. Dehydration claims a lot of people's lives when they're stranded out in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do have to be prepared. So, you know, thankfully, you know, in my backpacking, I do have a, uh, a pump. It's, it's worth paying the extra money versus the treatment to, to buy an actual legitimate water pump, like a backpacking pump that you can filter water through. Um, you can buy the tablets. You can always boil the water. But yet, see, the thing about boiling water is that if you're at high elevation, it doesn't always kill because it boils at a much lower temperature. Oh, really? Yes. So like if so, when people say it, you know, water boils at X degrees, that's always calibrated at sea level. Interesting. So as the further you go up in elevation the lower the boiling point is of water and, and, of, and of most things too. Hmm. So like if you're high up in the Rockies and you dip your pot into the, into the lake or whatever that you're the mountain lake that you're at, um, you have to boil it for you. If you're boiling it, it's best to treat it or, and or filter it as well because boiling it may not kill off the Giardia that's in it. So keep in mind as far as that, um, that and, you know, if you're near probably polluted sources of water, too, if you're mm-hmm. hiking, you know, especially like along the Rio Grande, oh, you know, there's yeah. there, you know, there's there's cattle that are probably in those waters or runoff uh, from that capacity. So you just have to keep that in mind that not everything's foolproof. So just use when your you best judgment. About what's upstream. Exactly. That's the, exactly uh, it. Well, and here in Iowa, too, like we oh, have horribly pleasure. polluted rivers. Oh, yeah. And waterways. The um, raccoon's one of the most polluted in the country. It, it is. And all the, it's a lot of it's agronoff, um, whether it's nitrates or manure or what have you, that's all, and, and as well humans. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, it's not solely on ag. It's, I mean, ag's a big part of it, but as well as our own urban people. Oh, yeah. We all want our golf course lawns. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't yeah. get me, don't, we can have an entire conversation. Oh, we could. Yeah, we probably will. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I was watching the uh, National Geographic um, documentary on into called uh, Into the Grand Canyon. 
Oh, yes, with Pete McBride. Yes. Um, he, he is a role model to me when it comes to photography. The, uh, he is a role model. Oh, like, he, actually, he's my other spirit animal. Jimmy Chin, <laughs> Jimmy Chin and Pete McBride are my spirit animals. So. <laughs> but continue. It's a be- If you haven't watched that for listeners, it is absolutely oh, yeah. worth your watch. It's on Disney watch. Plus if you've got it. Yeah, absolutely. Highly recommend it. But one of the things that was interesting was there's actually an area along the Grand Canyon where you can't get water from. Um, even if you have a filter, um, because it's radioactive. Oh, because um, there's an there was an old abandoned uh, flooded out uranium mine. Wow. So what they had to do? I, I'm trying to remember. I'm, they put up signs, but they didn't. They weren't able to hike through it, or they just oh no, they're able out, to hike or? through it. You just you just can't drink the water. Okay. Um, they've got like the the mine entrance is like barricaded off with radiation signs okay but it's more of the like groundwater in that area is um, contaminated so how far how much of the area of the grand canyon is radioactive as far as water um not a whole whole bunch of it um it's kind of hard to tell because the um i mean i i don't even know if they technically know i mean you'd have to just take samples and test it but because the part the other thing in that documentary that i found interesting was that um like there's, um, we've got some of the highest concentrations of uranium deposits around the Grand Canyon, which is why a lot of the mines there, right. um, there's a lot of like uranium mines and while, yeah, they are the most heavily regulated mines for obvious reasons. Um, it's still, you know, still mining. Um, cause Pete was doing it from the impacts to our water supply. Yeah. Uh, and he was photographing that region to not only one express its beauty but as well to tell the story of the effects that we're having in that area whether it's mm-hmm. like the draining of water like of you know of us consuming water and what that's doing to the Colorado River yep. in that area but as well well then I, the uh the consumerism for the tourism mm-hmm. piece, that was another huge piece which um I did some additional research into that whole that tramway that they were right running. That thing is full, like, was completely killed. Um, and so... For good reasons, it was oh, killed. Oh, yeah. Like, they were that would ruin to, the beauty of that place. Additionally, they were wanting to... Where they were wanting to build that is considered a sacred site. The, the That's right. The confluence between the Colorado and Little Colorado, where you've got, like, the blue coming in with the... Like, it was just... Oh, it was, it was awful watching that, like, the board meeting and listening to him talk and... You know, just trying to tell them, you know, the only, the only thing that they were saying essentially was, this is the amount of money you're going to make. Right. Like, yes, I remember that. Oh, they, always a money play. It, it, it is. And, it's, and, and like, it's, a, it's a priceless thing. And that, that's the part that I wish people realize. Like, look, like philosophically, I'm a capitalist. Like, I understand the principles of capitalism. But at the same time, you have to respect sacred grounds and and our green spaces mm-hmm. and our natural beauty. And when you start taking away what is considered priceless, that's that to me is an ethical line crossed. Yep, exactly. Because it's like, you know, the if you destroy all of those things, then what, what's the point? Exactly. Because... Like, 
yeah, I well, and it's it's a and you know to those who you know who have conversations with a lot of folks, it's like they forget the economic concept of scarcity. Yeah, and those things, those precious areas, it's not like you can regrow it like a crop. You know, if you destroy the the beauty and the integrity of the Grand Canyon, or or other spaces or level mountains to have a granite table, it doesn't come back. It doesn't, it doesn't grow next season. And that's the part that I wish that, you know, these quote-unquote capitalists out there understood is that the element of scarcity. They're sacred, you know, not only to, the, to those who, who consider it sacred from, you know, from like our Native American uh, brothers and sisters who consider their whole, those lands to them of their ancestors sacred, but as well for anyone in, with any self-respecting mind of... These are, these are sacred to us too from a nature because they don't come back. No, and what I think, what I think a lot of those folks could benefit from is, especially if they enjoy outdoor rec and all that type of stuff, and because mm-hmm. a lot of them do. That's the, that's the irony. Um, you know, come spend some time in Iowa, and we're. You don't have, like, the public land is literally as scarce as it gets. Exactly. Um, it's, like, I'm pretty sure we have the least amount of public land of any other state. You know, um, I don't know that for certain, but I do believe yeah. it if someone were to tell me. We're I, either, I, I think, either first or second. I think we've only got, like, 2% of our land is public land. Well, yes, and, and we have, we don't have continuous, like, yeah, you know. That's the, yeah, that's the other piece is that, um, that I think, I think Cassie in one of her previous yes was, um, pod, uh, podcast episodes was mentioning about like if climate change and you know the wildlife can't move, there it has nowhere to go. And right. So if it can't survive, then it just dies off. Correct. Very environmental responsive. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, many of our wild, much of our wildlife is. Oh yeah, I was as close to an ecological desert as it gets. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. And you know, there's unless you're a bird, there's not much migration really. Right. Not much migration. Other than the black bear that was migrating through, I believe, from was it from Arkansas? But it isn't it it's such you know, that that's the thing that Iowans need to take into consideration. I, you think, had, the, I think the black bear was actually was it wasn't it in northern Iowa? Well, it made its way through Iowa, so it was coming. It was it was coming through Iowa. It was migrating um, up through Iowa. It was. It, it's most of its spottings were seen up in northern Iowa. Yes, mm. but I believe it's. And you know, if anyone out there who's listening can quote me incorrectly, from my understanding, it was migrating through the state of Iowa. Oh wow! Um, That's but the the sight of a bear migrating through Iowa is the biggest story that just goes to show that yeah. we have such a disjointed natural approach and, and availability mm-hmm. of land for natural and green spaces to thrive and be present. And Well, it's, you think back, it's like we used to have herds of elk and exactly. bison and there were bears, there were wolves, uh, like it used to be just as wild as say Colorado. Um, not anymore. Not anymore. 
you know, the land is extracted uh, crops. And I mean, don't get me wrong. We need to, you know, people need to eat. People need to be fed. But at what cost? Right. And as well as, you know, we can spend an entire conversation, and, uh, you know, with some, you know, some experts is, you know, how much of our production is actually being used for mouths to feed here locally. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's. And or even like locally in the, you know, in the U.S. Right. That, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Like here home or U.S. Is it going off to feed others? And, you know, you know, that's an entire longer conversation about mm-hmm. thing about things. But, um, you know, and that, that, you know, as an Iowan, that's why I so much appreciate like the national parks and national forests of what the U.S. interior does. Um, and, and I really hope that, that people do understand the value and especially with the, with the pandemic, I've never seen national parks as busy as they have been since the pandemic took off. And I, I really, really do hope that if there is budget cuts happening from the federal level, that it, it occurs in other places other than the U S interior. Because usually that's that that's an area that is one of the first cuts to happen or freezes to their budget is the interior, and yeah. that's where it shouldn't be, because that saved our you know excuse the term but it kind of saved our bacon during the pandemic, and made people because it was a you know you're not in, in the confines of indoors, you know it's a you can enjoy the outdoors during the pandemic because you need to be out in open air, not in close confines with a group of people right. So I, I really do hope that people do find value. But at the same time, with outdoor recreation, you're, and there's an uptick in that, there was a lot of people that were not as prepared when it comes to that. Yep. And, that and that's, you know, so what I can always advocate is pay attention. If you're going to a national park, pay attention to ranger recommendations. Also, it's recommended to check in with a ranger too. So that way they know who you are. Um, and what your plans are for the day, um, it, that's for your safety. That isn't restricting your quote-unquote freedom. I know yeah. there's some pride with some people on that. It's like, no, check in with the rangers or make sure that your whereabouts are just at least known or what your intentions are for the day. Because guess what? If you don't show up, they at least know whereabout your whereabouts are, and they can maybe have some search and rescue. Yeah. The, the question, like, I always find myself asking, and that usually correlates to, uh, you know, how much of a potential pickle I'm in is, if I were to lose consciousness here, how long would it take for, A, someone to realize I'm missing, and B, to know where to come looking for me? Um... The, cause like the, there were a couple of people that, um, like, um, that knew that I was out at White Rock. Um, and so if I hadn't shown, it still probably would have taken longer than I wanted, but, but at the same time, there was also another biker out there. Right. And so if I had like passed out on the trails, the, you know, another rider would have found me. Um, and so that's, that's kind of that other piece but there were there was times that like when i was out scouting for invasives and browns and it's like about this time of year actually last year 
Um, this is not the time of year to scout for invasives, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it is way too thick, way too humid. Um, well, that and poison ivy is everywhere. Uh, I mean, once you get away from the trails and stuff, it's actually not too bad because um, the it likes areas that have been disturbed. Exactly. Um, that's that's very true. Yeah. I don't know. I just I. I'm just a magnet for it, though, Brian. <laughs> All right, I'm not gonna hike with you then. No, <laughs> but no, because there was one time where I was like, the I had hiked up into the northeast uh, portion of Browns, but there's no trail, no trail at all, um, and I think I might have told somebody um, where I was going, but either way, just thought like. The thought had occurred to me that, like, if I were to, you know, fall and say and break my leg, how long? Like, it would have, it would probably take several hours. If I called nine one one, it probably would have taken several hours for someone to get to me. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, I wasn't in an accessible spot. The hike, it like just on foot hiking um, to where I was um, from, like the paved parking lot would was about about an hour um 45 minutes to the point a 45 minute hike to get to the point where you go off trail um and then into the the bush um but uh i remember hiking out there and then again this 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 was the planning thing um where i uh misread a map Um, oh boy (laughs) yeah so my plan had been to kind of hike that area out scout it out see what i could find pop out at the river and then walk along the river on that sandbar down to um, where the uh, trail actually comes out and then just hike back in and reconnect and then take the regular trail back. Um, What I hadn't realized was there's a slight curve in um, the river. And so that sandbar isn't continuous. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So it, does it cut off with like deep like ravines? But yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great. Um, I get out there. Like I, I could see 63rd. And so I start hiking around the corner and then I get to the end and I'm like, you could see where it's like well, hiking along there is like, deep, like I, it's not like I had waders or anything either way. It probably would have been at least chest high based off of how it was. And I had a pack and everything and I'm just like. Great. <laughs> and so, and then the only way back up was to scale this dirt cliff. <laughs> and so, knife in one hand, walking stick in the other. Oh my I'm like gosh. Climbing up this thing. And then had to hike a couple hundred yards through chest high nettles. Um, that sounds awful, Brian. Oh, dude, it, it was hell. <laughs> it was absolute hell. Uh, <laughs> Talk about there's a reason I haven't done it again. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, you know sometimes you just gotta learn the hard way. Um, but I mean, I remember at one point where I was like getting out of breath and getting like starting like and I'm just like, oh shit, I need to take a breather because <laughs> like moving th- off trail in the middle of the summer through full foliage you know, in the humidity, because there is one thing about, um, a, um, humid heat that is slightly problematic compared to a dry heat is if it's humid enough, your sweat can't effectively evaporate off. True. And so you have, you know, you're at higher risk for like heat stroke. Right. Um, 
to a that, point. That, that's a very to, valid yeah, point. To a point. At super high temperatures, it don't matter. <laughs> right. <laughs> then, like, you're, it'll just dry you out and you'll get heat stroke anyways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a, that was a lesson. Um, yeah, I've had so many just, like, stupid, like, just in... Just here in Polk County and just exploring creeks and stuff and, uh, like, discovering that quicksand is real. Um, especially after, like, like don't go creek walking the day after flash flooding. Um, <laughs> like, the water's gone. That's not the issue. But the issue is that, like, all the sand and all that stuff that's in the bottom got, like, hypersaturated. Right. And so it's like you step on it and you just sink right in. And I was just like... Oh, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm mid calf deep in sand, and I'm like, I'm glad this like isn't super deep. Otherwise, this would be a problem. <laughs> right. And uh, it was, it was, you know, but then it was just the effort. Because here's the other thing is the effort and the work that translates to, you know, you're, you're burning calories. Right. That's energy expended. That's energy expended. Um, that's, you know, you're sweating harder. So you're, you know, using more water. Did you plan for all that type of stuff? Um, so like, you know, cliff bars, nutrition, making sure that you have that and like having food, it's more than just making sure you don't starve. It's making sure you have enough energy to keep going. Exactly. To get back to where you need to get back to. That's exactly it. Like that, that's why it's like, it, nothing tastes better than food after a long hike or a oh, long yeah. trail or something where you just expended so much. It's like, I always, uh, I always, always joke. It's like a greasy cheeseburger just sounds amazing after a hike. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and you consume it in a, just a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Cause you are expending a lot of energy. Oh yeah. And especially if it's hot out or if it's extremely cold, cause doing like cold water or not cold water, cold weather hiking you can expend a lot of energy oh just as much oh, as yeah heat. absolutely and it's again really easy to get dehydrated mm -hmm. um it's even like in colder weather it's even easier to get dehydrated absolutely um, it is the usually when we do the burns the winter burns out at browns man that would be usually the next day you just feel like a raisin um because I did after I was up in northern Minnesota in those those that sub negative twenty degree uh, temperatures. I felt off for like at least two days. Yeah, and I think it was partially but due to dehydration. It's so easy to forget to drink because you're not hot. Right. You're not hot. You're not feeling thirsty. Um, you know, and so it's it it's. Something that I've, you know, recently kind of discovered is that going on adventures and stuff, there's a lot more planning. There's a lot more planning, and then the people that you're with, there's a lot more trust that's needed. Yeah. You have to go with people that you trust, that know what they're doing, or they're hyper-supportive um, throughout all that, or, or that people that you can clearly communicate with. That That is mm -hmm. absolutely important, you know, whether it's... Whether it's in relationships or hiking, trust is a, is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is an important part, right? So it is absolutely it is. 
well, we are at about an hour or so. So, you got any adventures coming up that you need to prepare and plan for properly? Well, it's 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 a coincidence that you say that. I'm still, you know, I'm knocking on wood. But what is in the cards is that come in October, uh, the plan is to do rim to rim of the Grand Canyon. Ooh. So that's about a 26 mile hike from the north rim to the south rim of the Grand Canyon. It's considered one of the bucket list hikes of the lower 48 that you can do. Oh, and nice. so I'm really looking forward to that. So did Half Dome last year. It would be really beautiful. But it's a lottery system. So a lot of things, it, we're talking about preparedness, is that there's a lot of great things within the national parks. But due to the demand, a lot of things are lotteried. So preparedness is, you know, it's like... It's one thing to be prepared by gear. It's another be prepared for whether you can do the things that you want to do or not. Mm -hmm. um, and what does that consist of? So pay attention to, you know, go to the national park sites and make sure of this and that. So I'm still awaiting as far as news. Will I be able to do rim to rim uh, Grand Canyon uh, trip this year? It'll be ideally it'll be in October. So it'd be nice out uh, at that point in time. Ideally, it won't be too hot. But we do have to be prepared because it may snow on us. Yeah. Especially in the North Rim. South Rim may not get as much. That, that's but super cool. We should do an episode on just like how you prepare for an adventure. Oh, I would love to do that. Yeah. But I, fun. you know, I still have so much to learn. But that's the beauty of it is that you continuously learn to be a better preparer. Um, but at the same time, what I, what I would advocate to the audience too, for anyone out there, and this is advice that I've taken myself from others is that it's a good thing to be prepared and continue to get better at being prepared, but also don't get paralysis by analysis. either. Oh, yeah. Do I, just, Oh man. It's, it's sometimes you make, just got to send it. You have to, <laughs> yes, send it, make the decision to just do it as well, but don't. Don't overdo it, but, you know, you can overdo it in your preparedness, but you can also overdo it as far as what you're actually playing, you know, what you're doing as well. So mm. find that balance. But if you're finding yourself where you're just at an impasse, you know, just do it. Yeah. You know, I, if you're, you know, there, it's, you're probably at the point where you're already well prepared for the trip mm -hmm. and you'll figure it out as far as, because there's plenty of things where I go on trips too, Brian, and maybe yourself where where I've been going along with the travels and I learn other things that I may have missed that I didn't prepare for or there was gear that I should have or that I need and I keep that as a note for the next trip. Yep. So that's the beauty of it too. Yep, that happened to me. I forgot a spatula. <laughs> <laughs> spatula, food. You know, and and you can spend an entire lifetime figuring out. Mhm. Mm how to cook good food out in the woods in different settings too. So, but well, folks, thank you for listening to another episode of Oak and Adam. Hopefully with, uh, with what we talked about, I hope you get to enjoy your adventures because by the time this episode is dropped, we'll be in the midst of summer. I hope that you're having an enjoyable summer, uh, filled with adventures. Stay hydrated. Of course, uh, electrolytes are just as important uh, especially post hikes, uh, post mountain biking or whatever, outdoor recreation, kayaking, etc. But at the end of the day, make the decision to go and enjoy it. 
Absolutely.